hopefully you received an outline as you came in this evening. But as I stated, we are looking at the church. And as we go through these uh, series of lessons on uh, the different doctrines of uh, the faith, the teachings uh, as are uh, listed out in our Baptist faith and message. And we continue on looking at what is the church. So I thought we would um, just see what the Baptist faith and message, how it would define the church. And so we read these words. It says a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers associated by covenant in the faith and fellowship of the gospel, observing the two ordinances of Christ governed by his laws, exercising the gifts, rights, and privileges invested in them by his word, and seeking to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth. Each congregation operates under the lordship of Christ through democratic processes. And such a congregation, each member is responsible and accountable to Christ as Lord. Its scriptural officers are pastors and deacons. While both men and women are gifted for service in the church, the office of pastor is limited to men as qualified by scripture. The New Testament speaks also of the church as the body of Christ, which includes all of the redeemed of all ages, believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And then we look at, we're going to kind of combine to looking at the Lord's Day. The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Activities on the Lord's Day should commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The question that I to just kind of be thinking about as we begin this study tonight is, does church membership matter? Does it matter that you are a member of a local church, a local body of believers? You know, there's a kind of a, a new, uh, I don't necessarily know if it's all that, that new, but um, strain of, of churches that really don't even use the word members a, a, at all. It might even say um, that, that we're just attenders or um, some churches trying to like investors or, 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 or what have you. And there are some churches that have done away with church membership uh, completely. But as Southern Baptists in particular, I think we would probably always say that church membership is important. Why? Well, because as far as in order to be a member of a, a Southern Baptist uh, church, we believe in what is called regenerate membership. That nobody is a member of the church unless you are a baptized believer. Now, does that mean that we think that you know, that, that it's this exclusive club that, that baptized believers are better than, than those that are on the outside? Well, no, not at all. But it is, um, but it is a way for the church to ensure that we are believers in Christ. And we would contend, too, that, that it is how Scripture describes the church. 
our main point you can see at the top here is that a New Testament church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an autonomous local congregation of baptized believers under the headship of Jesus. These are terms that we as Southern Baptists hold very dear, the idea of autonomous local congregation. Um, it's something that, to be honest, my friends that are in, in other denominations that I have to explain to um, is that, that we are autonomous church. And basically what that means is that you can't tell us what to do at all. Any, no other governing body can. We choose to voluntarily cooperate with the purpose of missions. All right, we associate with the, the Bracken Association, with the Kentucky Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Convention, but, uh, but they have no legal uh, oversight of our churches at all, which, um, unlike the United Methodist Conference, is different. Um, some of those churches uh, are in the process of choosing to leave the United Methodist, uh, and part of it's kind of messy because um, the conference owns the property. And so how does that play out? And I've heard some, some of churches having to, to, local churches having to come up with hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to buy the church building that they meet in. That Now, you know, we don't have that problem. Now there's benefits to that as well, but but we believe that each church is autonomous and not just that we are made up of baptized believers. But as we looked at this morning in my message in Colossians chapter 1, Jesus is the head of the church. We are all surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a church? Well, the church in, in the original language of the New Testament, the Greek, the Greek word ekklesia literally means church. It's the New Testament word for church, and it means the ones called out the ones called out see christians were called out of the world into the fellowship of the church so we as the called out ones we are visible in local congregations a part of the body of christ and so the new testament church we is described in in in, in scripture is the body the the and the bride of christ the church is the center of God's redemptive work. And the church is the means by which God accomplishes his purpose, his mission here on earth. So Baptists, we are shaped by this strong, a vibrant New Testament vision of the church as a people of God. We are a holy people and a people on mission to reach the nations with the gospel. So we're going to see here first the, the New Testament church. What does the Bible have to say about the New Testament church? Well, we're going to look to, hopefully it was, you're familiar with this, to our passage from this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. It says that he is the head of the body, Jesus, right? He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you, who were once were alienated and hostile in mind, do evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith and are stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So Paul, oops. I don't know what I did there, but I won't. Let me, let me go to the next slide. Paul wrote that. All right, we have gone off the rails here. Yeah, I'll tell you what. There we go. Nope, I didn't do it either. So Paul wrote. That the church is, as described here in, in Ephesians, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. So you see, as we see here in First Corinthians, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is the foundation of the church. That's what we're saying here. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest, but wholly lean on on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He is the foundation of the church. Paul wrote there that the, in Ephesians chapter 2, that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but Christ Jesus himself being what he is, the cornerstone. Now, in architecture and in building, the cornerstone is that that stone that holds the building together. If you were to remove the cornerstone, what would happen? The building would crumble. So Christ is the Lord over the church. And his saving work is the foundation of the church himself. So Jesus is laid, not just laid the foundation, but he is everything to, to the church. And that's why, you know, as a, you know, I spoke about this morning, the importance of, of exalting Christ, the supremacy of Christ in everything that we, we do from the, the, the Bible study that we have in our, in our small groups, our Sunday school groups, to, to the worship in, in the sanctuary, to, to the, the outreach that we do, to how we help people. Jesus Christ is the foundation. And he blesses the church, we'll see later in the book of Acts, those that are faithful to him. And sadly, we see that there are churches that have abandoned Christ as the foundation, and as the hymn says, all other ground is sinking sand. But in Matthew chapter 16, we see what's called as the Great Constitution. No, it's not the Constitution of the United States, but it is the Constitution listed in Scripture of the church. Read these words with me. 
Here it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say it's Elijah, and others, uh, Jeremiah, or, or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ the son of the living God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, oh, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter, Peter in the Greek, it's Petros, means rock. What is Peter's name? It's Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon the son of John. But Jesus changes his name to Peter because he is the rock with which the church will be built upon. And look at the gates of Hell shall not prevail against it. This is the establishment of the church and this instruction to the disciples about the meaning. And so Peter here has confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the the son of God. Jesus says, look, I'm going to tell you that you are Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates, the forces of Hades will not overpower it. Now, Jesus here says that the the church is established. Peter is not the foundation of the church. Now, coming back from from Rome, we went to the the Vatican there, and and, and we went into the St. Peter's Basilica. And, And the Catholics believe that Peter is the first pope. And Take their word for it. I saw the, the steps leading down. If you remember to the um, Angels and Demons, the Da Vinci, or uh, Dan Brown book made into to film with Tom Hanks. And, and you, you see those, those stairs that go down below St. Peter's Basilica to where I would assume Peter's remains are to this day. They would exalt that Peter is the, the foundation, but that here it's not. It's the his confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. This, this confession that, that Peter made is the same confession that every single believer in Christ and every single member of our church makes. And it is the foundation with the church stands. And when we keep Jesus as that foundation, This declaration that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. What's the promise that Jesus gave to the church? That not even death, hell, Hades can prevail against it. The church will survive even death. We live in a day and a time where, especially in in our country where we're, it's not as popular to, to be a part of a, a church or, or a, a, a Christian. Sadly, we see attendance decline in, in churches. In fact, I took a, 
a screenshot of it earlier. Um, because I thought this was very telling for tonight. It says that if you were born between 1925 and 1945, there's a 60% chance that you were in church today. If you were born between 1946 and 1964, there's a 40% chance that you were born in church today. If you were born between 1965 and 1983, wow, I'm in that category, my one year, there's a 20% chance that you were in church today. If you were born after 1984, there's less than 10% chance that you were in church today. Might think of somebody in, born in 1984 as young, but they are I was born in 83, it will turn 40 this coming year. So somebody pushing 40 would, I guess, would be middle-aged. Less than 10% are members of the church. And so we see this, and there's numerous reasons for churches closing. I think we we love to kind of just claim it on this thing or that thing or, or, or focusing on the wrong group of people or the methods are wrong. And look, we're, this isn't a message or a study to, to, to debate that. But I think for all of us, we have to remember what is the foundation of our church. The foundation is Jesus Christ and the declaration that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. So this is the New Testament church, but we see too that the church is devoted. The church is devoted. Look here at Acts chapter 2. There we go. The church is devoted. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added to that day how many? 3,000 souls. Talk about a baptismal service. Can you imagine how long that must have taken? You know, my mind wonders, like, did they just have one person over there? I mean, I don't know about you, but my arm would get tired dunking that that many people. But 3,000 people, you know, you'd have to go out and bring food in. And so, I mean, that's, it would take a long day for 3,000. But they were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon what every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all came upon those that were being baptized. No, every soul. We gathered together as the church to become with a sense of anticipation of all. I think sometimes we come out of, of habit. And if there's anything wrong with that, I think those two things can go hand in hand together. <laughs> I think sometimes we come out of familiarity. But when we see Jesus as the foundation, when we exalt him in all of his supremacy, all of his sufficiency, I think there's a sense of awe when we, and we come to worship him. 
And all who believed were together. See this of unity. And had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the proceeds to all and as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord, he added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. The church is devoted to the apostles' teaching, is devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking bread, and devoted to prayers. These believers in the early church, they came, they joined the church, and we see that this sense of fear came upon them. Now, Right? It's a sense of awe, it's this, this healthy fear, this reverence to God. We also see that this fear arose as many wonders and signs were being performed by the apostles. Now, these actions were performed. The reason was is to, to show God's hand in the organization of the church. I'll tell you. You know, I mean, I've read this passage many times and I've heard it preached countless times throughout my life. But I I experienced the awe and even fear, unlike I've ever experienced when I was in in India a couple of months ago. Uh, In several of of, of the services, I mean, we would, See, and, I mean, it showed you videos of passionate worship singing for an hour, you know, an hour or so. Uh, and and the pastor prince would, would get up and, and preach. And it happened more than once. But somebody would just start screaming. Somebody would just lay down and just start, I mean, almost con- convulsing. And later, and... Um, later on, I asked Pastor Pritz, and he would say, well, they were demon-possessed. Now, it's hard for us to to kind of grasp here in, in our Western culture, because sadly, we've seen those types of things abused. And I'm going to be honest, I was quite skeptical my, my, myself, trying to figure out what's going on? Are they just trying to draw attention to themselves or are they having a mental episode? Pastor Prince uh, said, well, actually, after uh, I asked dad first and, and he said, he said, yeah, it's pretty wild. He said, we always try to find a rational reason for this. And he said, I just came quick, quit trying to figure it out and just observe. And I, and I did ask Pastor Prince, like, what, what just took place? And I mean, you'd see people and they're laying on, on the ground and, and people attending to them, giving water and, and praying over, over them. And he said, we were casting out demons. And I was like, I don't see that kind of thing in, in, in America. <laughs> we just uh, don't, don't see it. And, and he said, 
these people are coming out of Hinduism. And he said, you are seeing Satan try to keep them from coming to faith in Christ. I mean, here you're seeing spiritual forces at work that, that are trying to, 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 to pull them back to the demonic forces. And, and it's just, so different than what we see here. Here, it's, it's almost like we, we, man, we try to, to, to lower the bar so much that, that, that we're almost apologizing to people to, to come to faith in Christ and, and trying to, and there they don't. We see the, the grip that Satan was holding on them. And I was like, are these believers? And he's like, no, no, these are, these are Hindu people that friends have brought to, to the church service. And I, I did, I asked, I said, Prince, is, is, is this for real? And he said, yes. And I was like, well, why is this taking place? And he said, because what's going to happen? And he said, it happens every time. Is this person is going to go back home to their village, to, to their home, to, their family that are Hindu largely themselves, and he's going to share what happened. And he said, the next service, we're going to have them stand up and, and share their own testimony. And their friends are going to get saved. Week in and week out, that happens. And it's, every service they have has testimonies in that service. And the testimonies are, are in part to, to edify the church. But those people are bringing other people because they're like, you have got to experience what I have experienced. And these signs and wonders, the purpose of them are to demonstrate God's hand at work. I mean, those believers come with an anticipation that God is going to work. And honestly, for me, look, I was freaked out a little bit, but for them, they see that often. And so when we see it, it the power of God, it, it's not for us, it's for his his glory. And I mean, yes, it is to, 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 to um, you know, to, to see others, others saved. Right. But it's not in the manipulative sense that sadly we've, we've come to, we've come to, to see. And, uh, you know, I've shared others of, of the healings that have taken place. Same thing. Right. They go into their village and say, I couldn't walk, but now I can. You've got to come see. You've got to meet this Jesus. I mean, it's like you're reading it right out of the books of Acts. But we see here in Acts chapter 2 that the unity of the church is a testimony of God's presence. Sadly, a lot of churches are not unified. I think sometimes it's because we have lost focus. Focus, we need to focus more on this group or this group or this group. We need to do things this way or this way or this way. And when we lose focus of Christ as the foundation, we can become disunified. But when we unite in that, we see this unity. And it's not because of us, because we're not 
naturally unifying people. But it's God's presence that unifies us. And we see the blessing of the Lord every day. He added to those that were being saved. So if you're keeping up on your outline, we see that uh, the church had a reverent fear that God guided them in their daily living. A reverent fear that God guided them in their daily living. That's what I shared about this morning. When we sing Jesus is Lord of all. Do we wake up in the morning? Saying, God, are you going to guide me today? Are you going to guide me today, even if it's hard to get up in the morning or you're dreading going to work? Or having to deal with some type of sickness? God, are you going to God? Not in a... You know, and and I just, God, I hope that you're with me today. No, this fear that he is with you. That's what the church, early church had. Second thing is they made loving other believers as themselves as a priority for their fellowship. Fellowship wasn't about what they got. It was loving others even to the point of selling private property in order to provide for the members that were in need. And as a result, God blessed them, blessed the church with new members every single day. I'm going to write some words up here on the screen. I have just a little bit of time to discuss this, and then I want to close with prayer over our shoeboxes tonight. Write these words. We have fellowship. Worship. Discipleship. Ministry. Evangelism. As listed in in Acts, in in the early church, the New Testament church, in the same church that we are still to be, we kind of would say these are kind of the five markers of, of what the church is to do. The fellowship, we are to worship, practice discipleship, ministry, and evangelism. And we're to do all of those things at a church level. But each one of us is to do all of these things, to hold these in balance as an individual Christian. So the question we'll just have some time to to discuss tonight is, looking at these fellowship, worship, discipleship, ministry, evangelism, which one do you think that you tend to, to kind of navigate, naturally gravitate toward. 